an exciting season. Yesterday, we went to uh, see the bright lights in uh, Stanley Park on that little train. And it was raining and raining and rain. I felt like a muskrat. It was unbelievable, but hey, I still was able to uh, squeak out a smile, but I can't say that my voice is the same ever since. But we'll try and squeak one out today. Um, you know, being a dad and a husband is a lot of pressure. Being a dad and a husband is a lot of pressure. You know, um, my wife was reading a little while ago on, she's wondering sometimes, or some of the, the authors were questioning sometimes whether a lot of these self-help books and a lot of these different books out there that are saying how to be a husband and how to be a dad and all that stuff are actually hurting us more than they are helping us in the way that all of a sudden people are reading these things and they're reading these marvelous stories of this fantastic inspirational dad or this marriage that's built in heaven and then all of a sudden you turn toward your husband, you turn toward your dad and you go, well, he's lousy compared to what I'm reading here. And then all of a sudden there's this huge pressure and we don't make the mark so we feel like a bunch of losers or failures, and then all of a sudden the ladies or the kids are looking at us, yeah, you are a bit of a loser and a failure. And then all of a sudden it all goes kaput. So today I want to look a little bit at an account, uh, there, and I want to ask those questions whether Joseph felt some of the same things that we might feel today. I was hanging out with a guy that runs a B&B, and uh, what a lovely guy. In fact, he had married for the second time, uh, there was all sorts of circumstances around this, but uh, so two blended families, it was a blended family coming together. And he was opening up a little bit to me on how they had gone through a really hard time with a prodigal son. This son, for some reason, just wouldn't take to the family. For some reason, wouldn't come around the values, wouldn't come around seeing the rest of the family's needs. But it was all about me, 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 me. And he was starting to do some behavior that was really harmful to the family and toward him. So finally, they've tried everything. They've tried prayer. They've tried all sorts of discipline and obedience kind of thing. Nothing was working. Finally, they came to their wit's end, and through prayer, they had a family meeting, and they, through their tears, had to ask him to leave. They had to ask this guy to leave, and he was saying how gut-wrenching it was that everybody was sobbing in tears, and this guy finally left the home, and it was just a mess. After that, it was just a mess because they missed their son so bad, and it was just like... Such a horrible situation that he would wish on no one. Well, thank God this has a great ending because it was about four days later or five days later, he couldn't handle it anymore, be it the cooking or the the tight relationships or really realizing what he had at home. And he came home and this story has a happy ending that they started working well together and uh, loving on each other. But it was interesting because he said, Steve, I had all of these different worries. I had all of these expectations all of these thoughts of what was I doing wrong? What couldn't I do? Why am I such a failure? Why is my kid turning out this way? And finally, he looks at me through all of my study, through all of my praying, through all of my relationships. I came up with one thing, Steve. You want to know? I did. He said, God is not calling us to be perfect. God is not calling us to be an amazing husband or this incredible dad. God is calling us to be faithful. God is calling us to be faithful. For me, that was a relief. For him, it was just the weight was taken off of his shoulders. And I'm guessing for you today too, you feel the pressure of being the perfect lover, the perfect parent, the perfect uh, husband, wife, whatever, all of these expectations. 
And I want to say to you, God is calling you to be faithful. And what's even more amazing about that statement is that he actually gives us what we need to be faithful. When we have this relationship with Jesus Christ, he gives us the Holy Spirit who comes alongside and props us up in the times where we don't feel faithful or we feel there might be a different option or we might be struggling with entanglements and sin. And he says, here, 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 let me help you. And he helps us to be faithful. And then we fall, but he props up again. He props us up again. He props us up again. My friends, he's calling us to be faithful this Christmas season. Let me read an account of Joseph in uh, Matthew chapter 1. Verses 18 to 25. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Well, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. That little fulfillment there, that was written 700 years prior. Isn't this awesome? 700 years ago, and here we're reading it, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and gave him the name Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this fantastic day and for the songs that we've already sang and how uh, Tennyson and the band and Ken, even through his prayer, wove this together for us that there is a theme, a beautiful theme that even uh, Karen spoke about, how we've been looking forward with anticipation of of hope, uh, of peace, and we're coming to love here. And the love displayed, Lord, by you sending Jesus Christ. You've been relentless in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Create man in our image. And then when we messed it up, you just can't stop yourself. You still pursue us by sending Jesus Christ as a baby who would ultimately come and die on the cross for our sins because you so desire to have a relationship and redeem your people. This is incredible stuff. Lord, we're all wayward children. We're all prodigals. And God, you are faithful. Speak to us this morning through the account that you have penned through your servant Matthew as he chats about Joseph and his reaction to find out that his wife-to-be was pregnant without any of his help. Help us to learn and glean something from here, Lord. Help us to learn to be faithful. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So this is a juicy story, and I have to admit that I must have been born under a rock or something because 
when, I, when my brother was getting married, he married a woman that already had a child. And I was pumped. I didn't think anything about it. But when I went to school, kids were bugging me about my sister-in-law to be that she must have already been with a guy. I said, no, yes, no. And I would point back to, well, it happened to Mary, right? So for, in my little head, it was any time the good Lord wanted to come to you, all of a sudden, you are with child wherever he wants. In fact, there's a few times where I've talked to people and I say, I'm having my fifth kid. Fifth kid? Oh, we're done. Oh, you are, eh? Well, let me pray healing over you. No, get away from me. You know, women are not into that kind of stuff, right? There's no healing there. Well, when I look back at Joseph's situation here, I find this a fascinating story. When you look back, you have to see that when Matthew's talking to the Jewish people, that was his intended audience. He gave this incredible genealogy at the beginning, and that was because, you know, like you and I often go, nah, but the Jewish people was very, very important where the Messiah came from. And he gives this whole account, but now he's chatting and he's giving us this background that they would have known the background of what Joseph was doing, what Joseph's rights were, and Joseph's response was out of this world. So some of the marriage background or the custom of marriage was absolutely fascinating. First of all, they were chosen by their families. So you had uh, the families get together and say, this is my daughter, this is my son, all right, well, let's get them together. And a contract was set, and there was often an exchange or a dowry going on, but there was pretty much a promise from the wife's family that this is a woman of character, she's not been with a man, she's virtuous, here you go. And he would go, all right, and they wouldn't get together right away. In fact, what they would do is they would take at least a year apart. And she would prepare, and he too would prepare. He would uh, live with his family, she would live with her family, and he would go and begin to build a home so that after a year, he could go and get his bride in a huge celebration style and bring her back to the home that he had built or a home or a business that he had put together. So there was this absolutely huge process, and a contract was set not only between the bride and the groom, but between the two families. They, considered, they were considered husband and wife during the engagement or betrothal period. So that makes a lot of sense, too, when you start studying divorce and remarriage and all that stuff. These two, Joseph and Mary, were, were considered husband and wife, yet they were not yet married, but pledged to be married. To me, that kind of blows us out of the water because we date frivolously. But this was more of a courtship where I would be with Jody and we, we're going to get married but we're taking time before marriage to prepare for that day of coming together. They didn't live together for a year. In this waiting period, they demonstrated the pledge of faithfulness and the pledge of purity, especially concerning the bride. If the bride was found to be unfaithful, the husband could take the matter to the judges of the city gates, which would then uh, either turn into an annulment that this did not happen, you're free of your obligations, or it could, from Deuteronomy, also know that it could result in the stoning death of the woman. So this was a really, really, really big deal that was going on here. And they had a lot more celebration going on, but because of time and also some interesting detail, I'll leave that out for now. But there was a really neat ritual that came alongside this whole thing. And finally, after the year, the guy would get all of his friends and family together, and they'd do a lot of hooting and hollering, making a lot of noise, because he was having a celebration to go pick up his wife, and then he'd go pick up his wife and bring her back to her place, and you can figure out what happens after that. 
But it was a huge celebration of not only betrothal, but of purity, of setting themselves apart, and of faithfulness, a real picture of honor in the marriage bed. The waiting period that we know about here, this year of being separated, this year of also preparing, flies in the face of our culture of instant gratification and entitlement. I was on, you might not like this comment, but I was on the phone the other day with, with um, internet people. I've been having trouble with my internet. So I phoned, and then they do their thingy online, and tell me how that is, I'll phone you in two days. Okay, in two days. Yeah, it's a little better, but still kind of lame. Well, I'll do this again, and I'll phone you in another two days. So it's taking forever, right? So, so two days later, and then finally the third time, I just said, yeah, it's actually more lame now than it was. Uh, but, you know, can you just send out somebody, uh, get me a new modem or something? And he goes, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to feed on the ground in your place. I want to figure out what's going on here. I said, that would be fabulous. And I said, so it shows me you're calling from Alberta because it was a 403 number. He says, no, I'm actually from Montreal. Oh, really? It says 403. Yeah, but we got portals all over the place. We got one in Calgary, one in Burnaby, one in, I think it was Montreal or Quebec, and uh, one in Vegas. Vegas? What the? And you're stuck in Montreal? He goes, hey, this is a pretty cool place, actually. There's a lot of fun in the city. I said, yeah, I'm just kidding. I'm not from here either. And he goes, I can tell. I said, what? I can tell. What do you mean? You're happy. <laughs> okay, so I know this is a bit of a diss, but we can take something from this. So I, I said, what? He says, you're not grumpy. And I said, well, what do you mean? Well, I just find that Oftentimes, when I'm dealing with BC customers, there's a spirit of entitlement. Yeah, I said, I'm from Winnipeg. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, put that in your pipe, you know. But it was interesting to hear that, but I think that even in Winnipeg, we have the spirit of entitlement that this is my right. I deserve this. What? Fix it now. Right? I want it, and I want it now, and I want it the way I imagined it. Now. So imagine going into marriage like that. She has her ideas, I have mine. Now. No, now. Now. And there's this spirit of entitlement that permeates all of our lives. And no kidding, we're all messed up. No kidding, we have lots of failures. No kidding, a lot of our thoughts and dreams for having kids or a good marriage or a great job, they're all shattered because we have this instant gratification and entitlement. Think about that. The parents and families being involved, they have this year of preparation, this year of honor, this year of faithfulness, and then a celebration of a guy bringing all of his buddies to pick up his bride. It was awesome. But we wouldn't see that today, would we? The honor of the bride, the honor of the couple is at the center. Remember, this is the background. This is the background that we're talking about, the account of finding out that Mary is with child. This is the background. It's interesting because the honor of the bride, the honor of the couple is at the center. And this, to me, is a direct reflection of Jesus and us and the bride, as the bride. Jesus, like Joseph, lays aside his rights 
and identifies with us and calls us his bride. We're going to see in just a minute that what we saw from our passage here is that Joseph, being a righteous man, was going to divorce her quietly. So he wasn't going to go by his rights because I think he actually loved her. So he wasn't going to divorce her publicly and disgrace her that she'd be alone the rest of her life doing whatever she could on the streets to make a little bit of money to survive. He was going to do it quietly. But then within a dream, an angel came. God sent a messenger and says, hey, it's of the Holy Spirit, Joseph. You're good. And still, though, he has to go past all of what people are going to think about him, his reputation, when he goes to the gates of the city where he, he publicly uh, trades with others, where he has the standing before other men, where all of his buddies are going to be walking with him to get his bride. He puts all of that aside. His dreams are shattered here, my friends. This is not a year of preparation anymore. What he does is he goes and gets married right away. And they move in together, but they stay away from, obviously, the consummation, the physical part of it. But I can just imagine what's going on with Joseph. This is not the way he thought things would work out. And it's interesting because what I said even in our prayer is that Jesus, loving community and loving people, He made us, and we messed that up. And he pursues us again by sending Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us at this season. That's what this reflection is about. He pursues us, he pursues us, he pursues us. Jesus lays aside his rights and puts on skin to walk among his people. He could have done it much differently, but he came. There was no spirit of entitlement there. There was no instant gratification there. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So commercial break, when your parents are saying, I really want you to wait and choose the right mate, be smart, Take your time. Don't get involved physically with somebody. When your parents are saying that to somebody, it's not just because they're interested solely in your sexuality. It's way bigger than that. It's way bigger than that because here we actually even have a glimpse of Jesus Christ being the head of the church and wanting his church to be pure and blameless and white and beautiful. So if we would start approaching the opposite sex like that, wouldn't that be something else? that we realize that I get to honor Shirley. You know, I get to honor Hannah. We build one another up and we realize that I, as a guy, I get to be a part of the journey of helping these ladies in their purity and their blamelessness, if that's a word, in presenting them to Jesus Christ. Imagine how our marriages would change if we did that. Joseph had a response of love. So much was going on for him. And, the, and I love it because what does the messenger say? It's, I love it, verse 20. He just says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Easy for you to say. Like, do not be afraid. There's a bazillion circumstantial things going on right now. Never mind a big angel. <laughs> do not be afraid. <gasps> Now, we don't know exactly what the angel looks like. He may have looked a little bit like me or Ken, 
as a seraphim, you know, <laughs> as a seraphim, like more caretakers of God's glory, and we sing, and we do all sorts of neat worshipful things, maybe like tenny or something like that. And then you have the cherubim, it would have been more like Andrew or, or uh, Oren, <laughs> built guys, like, yeah, what's going on here? Like messengers, right? And they're the ones that are guarding the, 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 the gates that went at Garden of Eden, and also the ones that are at battle, all sorts of stuff. So we have a messenger here that comes, and Joseph's eyes are wide open, even in his dreams, going, what is going on here? And this glorious messenger came from the heavens to visit Joseph, and I'm guessing he goes, am I going mad? Because my buddies are never going to believe this. And you, you, you can just imagine when, when he says, do not be afraid. First of all, he's seeing this image of this, of this messenger. But then all of a sudden, all of the thoughts of what people are going to think are rolling through his head. And he's wondering now, what is going on? Do not be afraid. Are you kidding me? I thought I chose a virtuous woman to be my wife. My parents obviously didn't do their homework. Because here, all of a sudden, she's pregnant. She must have been with somebody. But yet, even in that, his response was to love her and divorce her quietly. Or, I love her. I love Mary. How have I failed this relationship? Why did she go and seek something somewhere else? Am I not enough for her? What's going to happen now? What's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to her? And yet after this vision, he responded totally against custom, and he brought Mary to his home. In 24, 25, we see, as soon as Joseph awakened from his dream, he obeyed. He violated all customs and immediately brought Mary to his home rather than waiting the one-year period of betrothal had passed. Joseph was probably thinking of what would be best for her to provide for her. There's no sexual contact, none of that stuff, until after the birth of Christ. Joseph was a righteous man, which does not mean that he did everything right, but that his desire was to do the right thing. Joseph was faithful. Joseph was faithful. The angel, Blomberg says this, the angel explains to Joseph that Mary has not been unfaithful and that her child has been supernaturally conceived. He reminds Joseph of his messianic lineage by calling him son of David. So even in that, he doesn't say Joseph, Joseph, but he says son of David. He's reminding him where he came from. And we know there's even a lineage through Mary, but what's beautiful here is that there had been sin and a curse through the lineage of David. And we see here now that Joseph, from that line, would now adopt Jesus as his son, and now he would legally become his dad. So the legality is there. So now we have the prophecies all fulfilled that he would be a son of David. It's incredible stuff. And why that's important from the male side is because we know that uh, all of that went through the male Uh, through the male line. It was the male that would be at the city gates. It was the male that would hear the teaching at the city gates and do the trading and be the, um, the overseer of the family. So before we even leave this part, we've got to consider three names that in the section that we see uh, 
assigned to God's son. First of all, he's named Jesus, which means savior. It comes from a Hebrew name, Joshua, Jehovah is salvation. And a lot of Jewish boys had that name, but Mary's boy was called Jesus the Christ. The word Christ means anointed. It's a Greek uh, equivalent of Messiah. So he's Jesus the Messiah. He's Jesus the Christ. He's Jesus the anointed. Jesus is his human name. Christ is his official title. And why did he come? We find that in the next name, Emmanuel, God with us. God with us. God with us. His ministry was not to liberate Israel physically. His ministry actually was to come and remove the alienation from God that their sins had created. And he's in the same business today. Jesus the Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, has come to remove what is in between us and God. And it is removed. He died. He paid the penalty on the cross. But have we come and received that gift? Have we come to receive that gift? For God so loved the world that he came up with this brilliant plan to send Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him does not have to perish but has eternal life. So here we see Joseph going through all these um, anxieties, going through all these circumstances that could really soil his reputation and call into question his character. But he steps out and he is a man of faith, a man that we can say is faithful, a dad who is faithful, a husband who is faithful, and he's willing to take one on the cheek for his bride. He's willing to believe God for his promises. That's Joseph. And I want to end with this, is that it's interesting that next we see very quickly in this passage we see the response of the religious leaders. So Joseph and his, and his simple faith and his response, but then the religious leaders, all of them, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, all those of the law, the people have been studying it. They had all the right information, but the incorrect reaction. They had all the right information, but all the incorrect reaction. You see, we have... Joseph here, who is a man that wants to do the right thing, he's doing it even the way the law says it, but then there's all sorts that comes together that is blowing apart his dreams for his marriage, but then he believes what God has said to him through a messenger in his dream, and he steps out, and we see that he becomes the father, the guardian of Jesus the Christ child. But then all the educated people, the people that were supposed to know what was going on, the people that should have been able to pin this, like, boom, I know what this is about. I know what the star is about. I know what the stable is about. I know this Jesus Emmanuel thing. It's amazing. Praise God. But they had all the right information but the incorrect reaction. Many of them were within five miles of the birth of Christ. But they may, has, may, have well, may as well have been Millions of miles away from him. They were within five miles, but they might as well have been millions of miles away. So how about you? What's your response? As we look at Joseph and his response, 
of faith, to be faithful, to respond to what God is calling him to do? What's your response? Some of you might be coming here every week, so you're within a mile or two of Jesus. You've grown up in the church. You've been listening to sermons for a long time. Maybe you're part of the worship team, but yet you're still within a mile or two of Christ, which may well have been millions of miles away. Or it could be that you're a mile or two away that you appreciate the warm, fuzzy feelings that this baby brings you as you think about the scene here. And as somebody said to me years and years ago, maybe you're only 18 inches away from the Messiah, which apparently is the average distance from our heads to our hearts. So could it be that like the teachers of the law who should have known better, what they knew, cognitively knew of the Christ child never made it into their hearts. And then you have the simple Joseph who uh, believed what he read and what he heard, what God had said, and it turned into heart action. It sank from his head to his heart to his feet, and he responded in obedience. My friends, today I want us to take the lesson from Joseph. Perhaps you've been feeling in your fathering or in your mothering, in your husbanding, in your wifing, that you're not making the cut. Maybe you have been reading the books or hearing from your spouse or from your dad or mom or from your kid that you're not good enough. What's he calling us to? To be to be faithful. To be faithful. To be faithful. And also, secondly, where are you at with Jesus? Are you, like the, um, are you like Joseph or are you like the religious leaders? Is there a chance that you've been showing him for all these years or all these days or all these months and you have been so close? You've been with the proximity of God's people and God himself, but yet you just can't seem to go from your head to your heart. Well, As Ken pointed out just the other day, today is a great day for salvation. Today is the day to make that a reality. Today is the day to make sure that it doesn't just stay in your head because in your head, that isn't good enough. That doesn't change people. Jesus wants to enter into your life and Jesus wants to have a relationship with you that permeates into your marriage, permeates into your parenting, permeates into your scene here at Christmas, permeates into your job, permeates into all of you so that you become a disciple of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us. Heavenly Father, this morning I would ask in your name that you would help us to do just that. And I pray that if there's somebody here, first of all, that needs to be encouraged as a dad or a parent, that you would come, Lord, and uh, come upon them. And as even you say in Song of Solomon, his banner over me is love. Give them a picture this morning of your banner over them that I know you've been faithful or I love you, press on. Whatever it is that you want to say to your servants this morning, please do so. Give them a picture of how pleased you are with your kids here this morning. That Lord, as Joseph loved Mary, so you loved us.
And we see it even at the manger scene, why you came for us. And Lord Jesus, if there's a chance that there's somebody in here today that is nodding with me, but the nodding stays in the head and the heart is not with what we've been talking about this morning, I pray in Jesus' name that you would come now and help them make that change to understand that the head knowledge doesn't change anything. But Lord, when we finally believe and step out in faithfulness like Joseph, Lord, you want this relationship with us that will change how we do stuff and it'll change who we are as we become a a, a son and a daughter of the Most High King. Thank you once again, Lord, for Joseph's example to us. And I pray that in Jesus' name that you would help us this morning as, as the worship team sang, help us to have Jesus at the center, Lord. From beginning to the end, Lord, help us to really see that nothing else matters. Nothing in this world can compare because our relationship with you will never die. It'll, it'll never perish. It's not fleeting, but it'll go on for all eternity. So thanks once again for your word and being faithful to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.